And I feel like that, you know, I just was thinking about that. Yeah. Cool. Still let you like, sit in the salad. Like, I like that. No, I mean, like, cool else to jump that. Yeah, great, uh, great way to leave me hanging. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Max Ulichny. I'm an illustrator and character designer based in Los Angeles. I'm James Castillo, and I'm a freelance character designer and director living in London, UK. And I'm Nicholas Cole, a character designer and illustrator living in Vancouver, Canada. And we're the hosts of Negative Space, a podcast about what surrounds the lives of artists in the entertainment industry. Today's episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming my good friend and serial collaborator, John Lauren, concept artist and kids book author, and he's here to talk about the pursuit of small projects. Well, let's just kind of officially, passively, sort of casually start. Because you roll into it, mm. yeah, roll into it. Because you guys have a, a, a shared friendship, oh, right? Yes. Nick and John. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, you. We go, we go way back. We go back to my first, our first. I don't know. I, it was my first gig. Was it your first job? Um, I had a few. I had like a job in college, um, and I had a couple like freelance things. But that was my first sort of uh, like definitely my first big studio job. Yeah. Yeah. 38 Studios, for those of you listening at home, um, which is all of you. <laughs> no, it's not. And me. I didn't know it was 38 Studios, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> what happened to the 37 that came before that? That That's one. True. Oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry, nobody sorry. talks about those. Sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, and 38 was uh, famously a disaster. Um, we all... Like, is this the studio that, that got funded by like a football player or something like Close that? Enough. Yeah, yeah, John. I mean, you <laughs> you can sketch it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So we we worked together there. I think I started like a, a few months after Nick. Um, I came in with some of Nick's uh, friends he knew from school, um, and I was actually an animator then. So I came in uh, doing three D animation, um, and we were just kind of like those like pods were seated near each other. And we were like the little babies of the company. Yeah. So just through those things, uh, we just we became friends working there. Yeah, we were basically just like the the second wave, first or second wave of like young hires that they made. And otherwise, it was like full of like very established um, industry people that I think Kurt Schilling just went and like stole from other places <laughs> like one at a time. Um, it was run to your question, James. It was run by a baseball player. Um, who oh, there you go. Yeah, I've heard about this story. Later, turned out to be a Breitbart Trump supporting piece of work. Um, oh. <laughs> and wow. you know, we were funded by seventy five million dollars of Rhode Island's uh, government money, uh, and it was just, it was a whole thing. You know, <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. a really it was a heck of an origin for a lot of us. We just kind of popped into the the industry checked it out had this very bizarre very particular experience a lot of amazing people working there like a lot of people mm. that i still uh am in touch with and have seen a lot in the time since but john especially and then i think john and i both had a similar like i don't know well after 38 studios i was like i'm gonna freelance <laughs> i think i'm good on this whole like believing that a studio is gonna be there <laughs> to sort of mm provide stable employee uh i'm gonna try and, and freelance and do illustration work and john joined me shortly but i feel like maybe there was a stop in between right 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a I had a couple more sort of um, more job like uh, gigs for a couple of years before I was sort of uh, also kind of fully convinced that you know I can I can kind of take back some of this control. Um, but I think at the same time, um, I was I was kind of transitioning from doing more motion stuff into like painting. So I think I also mm-hmm. I think I needed that little bit of extra time to just kind of like get my my skills where they, where they needed to go. Um, but I agree, like, um, Nick and I have talked about this a lot, but it's like, um, you know, we, we kind of had like an, a very early lesson, um, in <laughs> that it's like, you know, first the studio moved and I had this realization, like, wait a second, like they can just move my job. And then, and then <laughs> the studio closed and I'm like, wait, they can just, stop my job um <laughs> and you know when i you're know, like 20 or 25 or something when that happened you know um mm. it was a, a bit more of a, of a shock just because you i think you have a more sort of fixed easygoing of idea of what a, of what a job is you know um so you know it's it's interesting um because you know it's like on the one hand, like you don't, you don't want like the most notable thing about your career to be like proximity to a fiasco. You know what I mean? So <laughs> especially at the time people were like, Oh, what happened to that company? It's like, you know, I was making animations. And so like, if you wanted me to like break down the whole story of the studio, it's like, I really still couldn't really tell you all the pieces involved in that. Nick, I don't know if you'd agree, Nick, you know? Um, it was really opaque to us. I think, yeah. On the ground um, floor. It was, very, it was a very surreal experience. Um, but I agree. Like um, I met so many cool people and, and incredible artists. Um, and I think sort of the transition I made from animation and like into painting and stuff probably, you know, was only possible because of, the people I met there and just sort of like absorbing how they worked and watching them work. And, and, and I think that's is kind of like what opened that side of artwork up for me. I really want to dig into that transition from like, uh, from being an animator, like that being kind of your whole focus up to that point into sort of being an illustrator over those couple of years. And yeah, same. Cause it shows in your paintings too. I mean, it translated really well with like a sense of life and motion I'd, I'd be really curious to hear more. Oh, well, thanks, man. Well, um, I don't think I, I mentioned this since we officially started our rollout, that I'm a huge fan of all you guys, by the way, and a huge <laughs> fan of this podcast. And I'll say it <laughs> well, many likewise, more. I, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Many more times. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've bugged Max on DMs over the years several times. Um, <laughs> uh Anyway, what was the question about animation? <laughs> yeah, make the transition. Yeah. yeah. What motivated that? Yeah. Think. Oh, it's interesting. Um, it's I think it's a few things. You know, I like I think, and this is going back so far, it's like hard for me to like piece together my thinking again, right? But it's like, you know, going in going into the profession in general, um, you know, this I was first started the, that process in like the early 2000s mid 2000s right and so it's like the the information available of, of what goes in to a piece of visual media was so much more limited it's like i didn't know that like a modeler is a different job from a concept artist is a different job from it's like i just want to be a person who makes 
cartoons. Like that's all I really understood about it um, when I first dove in, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so um, in college, I did a lot. I did a lot of 3D, but I was also like painting backgrounds for the 3D, and I was working at a small game company doing like 2D animation. Um, and I think, you know, I I think if I have like a a, a superpower, it's just kind of like bottomless enthusiasm which um <laughs> so it's like whatever i was working on i would get super into um and so because i was sort of early on being exposed to like games and a little bit more of the 3d side like i just kind of developed skills around those like i was um doing a lot of animating um some compositing i was doing some painting and stuff but it was kind of like sort of like wearing all the hats type of thing. Um, and then I think what happened when I started working professionally a lot is I was finding that um, some of the the tech overhead of of like working animation pipelines, like I could never get rigging right. I was terrible at it. <laughs> it's like if I didn't have a tech artist to save my butt, I'd be in so much trouble. So it's like the, the overhead of, of some of that tech stuff um, compared to the kind of the freedom of the painting side, I think is kind of like slowly kind of inched me closer and closer yeah. to painting. Um, and I, I definitely hit this point where I was like, you know, the the growth in my portfolio for painting and stuff is not going as fast as, as I'd like. And I need to make a conscious choice to limit the assignments and stuff that I'm going to take. Or like I said, I'll get... I'll get sucked in by the enthusiasm and I'll work on whatever's in front of me. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely had to start um, like deciding what I wanted to work on and being, and being a little more picky. Uh, but I think um, first of all, it helped me get a ton of jobs because I'd go somewhere and they'd say, oh, can you use after effects? And I'd say, sure. And can you use my, I'd say, sure. Like I think <laughs> that's what kept me employed early on. So mm-hmm. it was a good thing. And then I think also um, I think just, the stuff you pick up from animating, um, especially like posing and 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 with three D animating, like volume and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and, and obviously like a sense of motion, um, because you just once you have to break everything down by frames, like you think about those transitional poses and and stuff so much more. I, so I think that has helped with helped with my like composing scenes and drawing, and, and obviously. Like you said, Max, like wanting to get a sense of motion into the piece is something I think is directly from animating. Um, hmm. Sounds so yeah, a I lot think- like my experience as well. Like I, I think that kind of like bottomless enthusiasm thing, like like what Nick was saying, like I, I don't need to know all this stuff about audio bullshit. Like, but you, <laughs> you aim me at anything and I'll go too deep, you know? Hmm. And so like it just becomes this thing where I, you know, I came from CG as well as a generalist and everything else. And I think it was the... To, to your point, I think it was like the instant gratification of painting and the kind of holistic aspect of painting that felt like it encapsulated a lot of the skills that I had developed mm-hmm. and that I enjoyed. And like that, it gave me kind of a microcosm effect of all of my skill sets in one thing. But also it was able, I was able to add, and because I, I see this in your work, I, I feel like, you know, we're uh, of similar minds in terms of like what we try to do in certain elements and like but i can also see you working with things that you can't do in animation as well like 
like brush strokes and, and kind of painterly effects and things that don't come as easily in CG where it's a little bit, well, it's a lot mm -hmm. of overhead to do that. You can do it, but it's a huge, huge thing. And so like, there's all these things you leave on the table and all these ideas you kind of like that stick with you. And that kind of like, you just want to like express in your own terms. And I, I see that coming out in your work. If, if I, if you don't mind me projecting <laughs> motivations, well, you. but I see it happening because it's kind of the same thing that I try to, to infuse in my work. Cause I feel like we have sort of similar backgrounds and, and, uh, makes sense to me. Yeah. I, th I think, I think that's true. And it's like, I think, um, like I said, I, I enjoyed doing that stuff. And I think, I think it was helpful to go there in order to sort of bring that back to sort of mm -hmm. the, just the larger, like visual communication suite of skills. And like yes. you're saying, put, put those into the painting. Cause I feel, I think, um, I think if you would ask me when I was like 19, like I'd be like, I would have said like painting's boring and I like, no, I was completely wrong. Um, but I kind of had to like find my way uh, into those things um, through sort of the, the, the larger scope of animation. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you're mm -hmm. saying now, it's almost like, it's like, um, you know, you can bring, you can bring all those things back into the process, you know? Um, anyway, go ahead. Totally. That's exactly the way I think of it too. It's funny because I had the same feeling a little bit like where painting was like, was like the start of a process that would end in CG or animation for me for a mm. long time. Mm. So it was always like, like the first step or it wasn't the goal necessarily when I was younger. Mm. And now it is the goal to a certain extent. I mean, obviously it's, if you're in a pipeline of the animation, you're filling a role and everything else. But like for me, my personal work anyway, um, that's kind of the goal is to like bring all these things that I learned through working in animation and, and CG and things to, mm. to, to come out in my personal work as, as like, but it all comes through this like animation love and, filter kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I think like you said, like, like, um, you know, since, since it's almost like I, I got into painting almost as like a necessity to fill in some of the gaps in animation projects. But then mm -hmm. now, like you're saying, like now the stuff I really dig into is like brush strokes and like neutral tones and stuff that I probably yep. would have taken for granted yes. before, you know? So it's like, I think, I think, being set up in those situations to have to explore and dig in, you discover all this stuff that, you know, you didn't even, wasn't even in your field of perception previously. Mm -hmm. Production really shows you subtleties and compromises and problem solving that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. And a lot of the best choices happen through those, like through attention, paying attention to the small stuff. And I think that translates really well, um, into an individual artist who's been through that. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's so many just like individual small choices that happen over time that like, I think most people don't drill down on. I mean, obviously everybody here is like super detail oriented and like lovingly crafts everything they do. But like, I think at least for me, production was the thing that really trained that muscle um, mm -hmm. and, and like changed my perception of so many different aspects. And I try to bring, try to juggle all those things. Everybody's, you know, got the things that they're trying to work through their pieces with, but like yeah. well, that, well, that really sharpened it for me. What's interesting to me, interesting to me is, is hearing you kind of talk about, about drawing as, as the solution to a problem that you guys had. It's mm -hmm. almost like you were not satisfied or you just, that there was, you were, you were really trying to, I don't know, like get, come up with like an, an aesthetic or a story or communicate something specific. And you felt that 
all these CG tools, all this wizardry around you, like around you could not really achieve it in the way that you want it. And then you realize kind of like if you put all that stuff into the painting, into painting stuff, that, that is a much more effective way of getting that stuff across. Because um, in most, in, in other cases, at least, I think, I think it's mine. I was craft first, reasoning later. Like I, I, it was the drawing was always there. There was never mm-hmm. a question that, that I wanted to do it. There was never like anything else was a distraction from it. And then it was more about justifying that. But I think for, and, and I see it more as I, as I kind of, you know, grow in the industry and you meet more people, you will meet a lot of people like, I mean, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it feels like it kind of went the other way. Um, that it was more just like realizing that that's the solution to something that you wanted to to do. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen, I mean, John, again, not to <laughs> tell no, you ahead. your story, but yeah, You're we're reading... all just projecting our own stuff on you right now. <laughs> let, me, let me take a turn <laughs> projecting onto John. Um, <laughs> it seems like from our friendship starting at 38 Studios and watching you kind of figure out um, what it is you wanted to do, like the arc, to me at, at this point seems very clear. Like you, you went from being really thick in the pro like deep into the process further like out of that like sort of um i don't want to say cog but my brain is only supplying cog it's not fair that's not true but <laughs> uh you you moved earlier into that into the sort of the concept part of the process and we did comics together and that was huge i'd love to talk a little bit about that too we should definitely um, talk oh my god about that. Um, i didn't know about this i want to hear about this but then yeah. you know sort of out slowly out slowly out and now like you're in children's books and you're doing your own like writing and illustrating and negotiating with publishers. You're like doing the entire production kind of Mm. all on your own, um, which is really inspiring to see. And it's, it's just cool to see like something that was concept, you know, at one point or even animation, you know, as part of the process now, like what you draw is the whole, that's the product, you know, that's the actual thing itself. Well, I think, so I think this actually now ties into what, Max was just saying and what and what we were saying about sort of our first our first job um, because um, it's interesting like um, I I came up initially with like the plan that like I'm gonna like write and illustrate a book um, like ten like truly like ten years ago um, mm-hmm. we were still at that company mm-hmm. I was taking a lot of train rides. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and I had done, st- I had like done a web comic in college. Like I was, I was into drawing, um, but just, I hadn't really had a lot, like the sort of like technical, like sort of rigorous um, sort of experience in it that I, that I think would have let me go pro like at that moment. Right. Hmm. Um, but I was taking a lot of train rides. I was, I was, had a long commute, that kind of stuff. Um, and so I had started sort of like jotting down ideas for like books and stories and that kind of stuff just because I think I was used to from school sort of like have because I was working the whole way through school so I was always having my school projects and my work projects sort of these like parallel tracks right so I think once I was out of school I was like well I need something I need something on my second track here um and that's why I started with the book process and with you know I was laid off in 2012. I was laid off in 2013. I was laid off in 2014. Right. And so like that gauntlet of experience, um, in some ways sort of like kind of lit the fire that like, okay, I need to come up with something that, you know, that like, like we were saying before, like that I have a little more control over. 
Um, and to your point um, as well, like talking about like the complexity of a, of a CG production and the sort of the simplicity and directness of painting. Um, I feel like the, the, the summation of all those things happening and it sounds like a bad thing, but I think it's a good thing. Is I was just like, I'm just going to aim very low. Like <laughs> what's a project that I can do almost by myself. You know, it's, it's very simple. It's just, it's just pages and pictures and words, you know, um, there's no, there's, that's well, a pipeline, but it's very short. It's like mm-hmm. me to the design team, to the printer. Like, you know, it's <laughs> how can I shorten all these pipelines? How can I shorten all these interde- interdependencies and, and, and do something where I'm spending the majority of my time in like the most joyful part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, I, th- I found when I was, when I was working on like animations and, and, or like animated shorts, that kind of stuff that I worked on, it was, it was really exciting when they were done, but like that middle time of like, I'm going to do some compositing tests and I'll sit here and wait for it to render. Um, like mm-hmm. that, that time spent to me didn't feel as appealing as like the time spent like directly on the page in the story. Right. So it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. It's so like I was saying, it's kind of like, how can I, how can I aim in a very low and achievable way um, and sort of, uh, you know, have the most fun, especially because, um, you know, until a couple of years ago, books are something that I was doing on, you know, completely on the side of, of doing whatever my, my gig was at the time. So I really wanted it to kind of, uh, be the funnest version it could, you know? Yeah. Can I, can I ask you a funny question? Yeah. So some of my personal work, some of my best ideas happened while I was waiting for renders. Like there's something about, there you go. like, just sitting there waiting for shit to go. Cause like, you know, I was also in seat. I was like waiting for like big CG renders and stuff. So I often had like a few hours to myself during the day. And you know, you're like talking to the team and doing all this stuff. But like at some point you just got to like watch bars finish. And that's really dull <laughs> and, and, and check your render. But like, really you're just watching bars. It's like paint drying. And so like, I, I feel like I developed my personal style because of rendering in a large, that's the, the best of those large, worlds large right degree. there then. And it's such a funny thing. I had, I would fill sketchbooks with just like tiny little scratch pad doodles like you might do on the phone or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and, and then they would get a little bit better. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then they would get a little bit better. And then that would, those little ideas would feed in my sketchbook on the weekends. And then, so it was like a constant like little drip feed of, of like maintenance for my personal work and for character design. And that's, I think what kind of kicked me out of CG to a certain extent. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of fun. And it would get better and better. The more I was rendering and the more fucking just dull that process ended up getting <laughs> because mm-hmm. of just like, mm-hmm. it was, it, it was the, the clearest illustration of like instant gratification versus weird artificial, like distance from, uh, or like out of reach, kind of like creative uh delay or whatever it is and it was just you know i i those those little moments were like really valuable to me in a way that's hard to describe if you look back at my old like early social media please don't my art is terrible back then but you would see tons of little doodles and you could see my voice kind of develop really fast over a few years because like i was just filling like um, A52 sketchbooks. <laughs> just fill them, fill them. It was really fun. And you can even see like watermarks of our sketchbooks in there. And so, like you can see like addresses. So please don't dox me, but you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And, and like, and, and, you know, I don't, 
in in sort of like painting that picture like i don't mean to like disparage the the cd the cg process not at uh, all i, no, I think I, in the I case deep love for it yeah i think in the case of 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 what nick and i sort of nick and i like we, we like played this like industry musical chairs and we like lost right that's like how we started out <laughs> and i but i think i think the it could go the other way where where you hop onto a project that goes through and all and all of a sudden mm that that stuff all all of a sudden feels very much frickling and worth it so i think it's like Hmm. it's like being part of of some complex projects that fell through sort of changed i think the way i think about um sort of like the my day-to-day activities working you know what i mean yeah oh dude that's yeah i I, more i'm thinking about this like just the, the power of our experiences and our reactions to them really can play a bigger part than I think we usually talk about in, in, you know, it seems like people, you know, as we present our portfolios are just, they just sprang fully formed from the head of Zeus. You know what I mean? Like people just kind of, I, this is my style and it's formed and here I am, I'm a professional and this is the one industry I put on the top of my resume and Mm -hmm. therefore I'm, you know, that's, that's where I'm headed. But, um, that's not been our path that certainly. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think that it's always like really a relief for me to hear and to talk to you about, you know, just kind of the weird way we found our way through. Um, I, I just want to like play it back too. Cause I think that it'll be funny to find those little bits along the way too. Like you and I started at 38 studio, then it was cloud kid. Right. And you were, yeah, um, I worked at an awesome company called Cloud Kid for compositing. about, about two years. Some, some yeah. random freelance for them here and there. And in between, actually, like I think we've talked about this like part of, of my story, like starting out in freelance and how that first year or two was really hard and I had to take a lot of like gigs that were an odd fit. And your family played a part in that too. They like helped me. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, I remember my brother. your brother connected me with the the Barry family to do portraits of them as different berries strawberries blueberries etc um, it was it was really like Highlight. it was it was such a, it was one of those like bizarre gigs that looking back like what i take away from it was mostly like it was just so cool to feel like somebody had my back uh in the time when it was really oh, cool. my my whole family are are, are huge nicholas cole fans so <laughs> i don't there's know if you'd shelf, see there's a shelf in my parents home of of, of nick art Frankenstein doesn't wear earmuffs. Oh. Is, has top placement right nice here. Nice plug. Just, That's not just this. Out, I didn't yeah. just set that up for this one. That's just where that lives. <laughs> nice. It's been there the whole time. I, I can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My mom has yeah. John Lauren art stuck to her fridge. So we've been. You know, I, I, it was Cloud Kid, and then I moved on to EA eventually with Dawn Gate, and they started to say like, "Oh, hey, we're doing this like League of Legends kind of esque MOBA game, but we can't inject that with any story. Let's do comics." to like web comics to kind of parallel um, to the game, kind of inject some story into the process. And they were like, Nick, do you want to do that? And I was like, sure. How fast are we doing this? And they were like, so fast, man, just <laughs> blindingly fast. And I was like, <laughs> cannot do that alone. Um, and they were like, okay, who do you want to bring with you? And I was like, John Lauren, <laughs> like, let's go. And so you and I did like Dawngate comics for like a, almost a year. I mean, almost a year, yeah. nine months. I don't know. That's so cool. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's funny, it's you know. It's, again, all these, I mean, I feel like these things, they all, all our stories sound bad, but like they're. I look back very fondly. <laughs> oh yeah. On the that 
yeah. you know, multi-year period of, of getting played off. Um, <laughs> but, see, but no, I would say, you know, Dawngate yeah. Chronicles is a comic that Nick and I did for about a year. And um, I, I would really credit that project with, with um, you know, teaching me to sort of like use color in a, in a effective and versatile way like i think i could could color some stuff if it, it was in the right palettes you know i think i could render well um but green. working green yeah green i still John just green. kills greens um, <laughs> yeah, but green now i can up. use orange Agreed. I can, I, um <laughs> no, but, but like working with nick on such a like a such a direct basis i feel like was hugely valuable for for my color um for my speed of painting and 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 the one that I always harp on with everyone I talk to is like, is like applying, like applying a narrative philosophy um, to, uh, to those elements, to using colors and value um, hmm. much more effectively. Like I, th I think, I think, like I said, I could render stuff, um, but I didn't really have like a philosophy of visuals to go with. Cause I think I'm partially from working with motion, it's sort of a different experience mm -hmm. than sort of the illustration philosophy which is very much a little in a good way more contrived um to sort of get, to guide the eye um and i and i so i think i think you know if you were look at my work before and after doing that comic i think that was probably the the largest period of growth i've ever had in my career hmm. i think it would have to be I and mean, that's such a huge amount of work in such a compressed amount of time right yeah how did you guys divvy, divvy up the work between the two of you <laughs> well, uh, you can go ahead and if you want. Um, it was, I mean, I, I was penciling, I guess. That was definitely the case. And then uh, I was inking, and what we wanted to do was kind of get a look that uh, where the, the kind of an animation inspired look where the characters had lines, but the backgrounds were fully painted. Okay. Um, and so then I would do like a, a rough sketch of the background and a fully inked character kind of pass on every page and then pass it to John with some like very loose, like uh, uh, color kind of notes and, and little quick sketches of, of how color might go. But those um, were important because like you would be like, here's the page and I want to use, you know, I want to use orange and pink and green. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, so I, th I think it, I think it, it was important that it, it, like it forced me into choices I probably wouldn't have made. And, mm -hmm. and I think, like got me into those, you know, all those blending and, and, and neutrals and stuff that, that you need to make those palettes work together. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, yeah. like I said, I, I think it just like, it's what I broadened my color horizons by, by so much. It taught me how to like explain what I, you know, like I, I had never had to like collaborate that closely with somebody before, especially on illustration work, which is, so there's so many moving parts and so many, you know, it's not like, just it's not quite the same relationship of like a character designer to the sculptor, you know, like it's, right. it's yeah. totally different. It was much more because illustration tends to be much more personal, tends to be much more like, yeah, like held closely. The final and product that the, the audience is going to see is, is both of you, like is both your strokes is all just, is like a, a be by headed creature, right? Like, yeah. like this is, it's yeah. a completely different thing. No, I I remember I remember there was a page I was doing and we were, it was like a castle on an island or something like that. I can't remember. It was like an establishing shot, and mm -hmm. I was yep. and I painted the page and like it was fine, but like it didn't it wasn't working correctly. The scale was wrong, right? Like like the use of stroke as it relates to scale was all messed up. And Nick just called me on the phone and was like, 
<laughs> I'm going to talk you through how scale works. Um, and after that, after cool, that, that I knew. It was so illuminating um, to have that kind of like direct collaboration. So like I said, I, I credit that project. Huge called way. out. This is like the Marin podcast now, where you guys are like hashing out old shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> cool. it's like all good stuff, right? <laughs> no, it was, I mean, I, I, I have very, very fond memories of that, and obviously, like you know, it was really amazing because like I could pass things to you, and by the time we were done, it was just like the result would be better than if either one mm. of us had like sort of just taken the full run at it, and I felt like we developed a very intuitive like. Remember that this do that you know like we're you yeah. know kind of uh whatever the seasoned mercenary team is like we're gonna do a budapest remember budapest like oh not budapest <laughs> you know like it's kind of remember page 13 like oh no not page 13 like yeah, oh yeah that 13. was that did become a language of just like floating page styles for sure and you actually i mean that's crazy I, just, I mean, just credit where credit's due too. I mean, like as that was going on, like I was trying to figure out Jellybots and you've been the closest collaborator as just like a story idea, like sounding board. And in some cases you've stepped in and like written, like, what about this? You know, like kind of pitch stuff. We were passing stories back and forth the entire time. And it's the and enthusiasm, if you don't write it, I'll write it. And and I think even as early as like Dawngate, you were already starting to work on Hugo. Um, yeah, yeah. So Hugo Sprouts is it's a weird thing. So the book behind Nick, Frankenstein, um is my second book, but it came out last year. Hugo Sprouts is my first book and it's coming out next month. So it's very it's yeah. very confusing. Oh. Um but yeah, so I I started the writing, like I said, I started the writing process, writing trains in like, I don't know, 2011, probably. Um, and then after the, you know, the gauntlet of layoffs we've, we've talked about, <laughs> um, you know, I had some time. Um, so I, that's when I, that's when I started really trying to figure out how do you, how do you build a picture book? Because I sort of, when I started the process, like I was not qualified to make one. I was like, here we go. Um, and so like I had a, I had a friend from college whose wife worked at a publishing company, not even in children's books, but just in books in general. And she was very, I emailed her and she was very kind and sort of told me some of the big pitfalls. Um, and so I started making book dummies, which are like, you know, sort of like a sketched version of the book. And so that sort of process of, I made the huge mistake of, of, of writing a much too long script without thinking about the, the pictures. Right. Um, yeah. so sort of the, the process of uniting the layouts and the artwork and, and the words, I did that sort of, like I said, on the side, you know, after Dawngate, you know, for, for the next, you know, two or three years, basically just getting, and I probably, you know, I probably did the entire book five times. Like it wasn't like a At one and done thing. Three complete yeah, passes. It wasn't like, like, Oh, it's done. Illustration. Like, yeah. yeah so, I mean, and, but, but the oh, wow. upside, the upside of that is by the time I had that in a good place, um, I've written two books since that one of them's the one behind Nick. Um, those came together in like a fraction, like I could, you know, I, I would write them in a, a few weeks and then the yeah. illustration process, you know, that, that still takes like six months, but like the end to end process <laughs> is, you know, just a tiny fraction because I knew I had all these pitfalls I had already stepped in, um, yeah. to watch out for, you know? 
Absolutely. And is that now your, your main interest is just to develop your work as an author and just keep oh, going man. with the books? The tough questions. Um, <laughs> y- yes and no. I, 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 you know, like I said, I've, I've written another book um, that I'm going to be doing soon, but right now I'm actually back on, on uh, game freelance stuff. Um, mm. With me. And, <laughs> with Nick. Um, so it's, it's more a matter of like, um, sort of like timing out like opportunities with sort of um, like the like publishing is these very long arcs, right? Like, like um, just because, you know, you have to check print proofs and they have to be shipped back and forth. Um, you know, just it have to be, the books have to be shipped. Like it's just, if you're used to the sort of the digital side of things where you like make a piece of art, post the art, it's done, it's over, like slow it all down by a month. So um, mm. like I did crash, I did crash four between my books, just waiting for like contracts to be finalized. I had like mm-hmm. three months and I was like, all right. right, let's go, let's go do some crash stuff. So it's nice. It's nice it, because they're on such different sort of like schedule arcs, um, to be able to kind of step away and, 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 and do some, some animation or some game stuff or, or whatever, some freelance stuff sort of like, well, a pitch is being passed around publishers or like i said well i'm waiting for contracts to be resolved or waiting for print proofs to be, to be shipped around so um yeah i mean your question was more like am i going to keep doing books um yes but like i don't think i'll stop freelance when when my, you know the opportunities are really appealing mm-hmm. um, yeah i think that's the perfect balance right that's like that's the yeah. ideal goldilocks zone right where you you have like at least like sixty percent of what your work is is your like comes from your own independence and your freelance and your own work and you're doing your books and that allows you to live. But then you have that extra forty percent that you can fill with freelancers that freelance jobs that could vary from animation to games to board games to whatever. I think yeah. that that if you can have that that balance and you can create that independence, I think you were talking about this before. This idea of it's very hard when you've been laid off many times. And you've been a freelancer and you kind of keep going, you know, you just, you may do 10 jobs in a year, but then you have no idea when the next job is going to come in and, and you, you reach 30 and you're like, I, I can't plan my life like this. It's insane. Um, <laughs> so you trying to develop these, these ways, these, these kind of projects that allow you to, to have a little bit more control over mm. what your life might be in the next 10 years. It's always beneficial. Um, that's kind of where what I came to to develop projects and and this the Madrid Noir project kind of came out of that motivation. Then I got caught up in a in a web of like complicated things. But the the <laughs> the, the, the the original seed of of wanting to do that had to do with like okay, well, I'll try to I I'll if if nobody's doing the kind of projects that I want to do and like they they are not like hiring. And and I'm not being called. Well, then I'll create a situation where like I am indispensable, and then I will never be laid off. <laughs> so it's kind of my thinking. Um, Hold it hostage. And then yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. No, Since now I'm just imagining you as like a spider that you got you wedged yourself into a corner of the room and you're just like you can't get me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of but but it's it's good i think it, it i'm not in that in the situation now where you can do some workshops you have this job you have some freelance you have there's a little bit you're not putting all your eggs in one basket but you have a little bit more everything's a little bit more laid out laid around um mm-hmm. and if you have a, an outlet that is fully creative and is 
it's full John Lauren and you get to do your books and your stories and your designs, then working for another company doing their stuff is not as painful. Because, yeah, right? for sure. And I, and, and I, and I think also like, um, you also, I don't know, like having a little bit of experience, having, having been through different gigs, like it's like you, you also like understand and accept the terms and the difference between those kinds of work. Right. It's like mm. when you've done a job and then, and then all the work you goes in a vault and you realize, Oh, that work wasn't mine. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to go through that and, and, and understand it. And then once you go into sort of like work for higher gigs after that, mm-hmm. you're going in with that awareness and you, you understand sort of what the relationship with the work is. And the work is still a blast. You still can put all of your efforts into it, but you just mm-hmm. kind of know the difference of, of how you should be attached to it emotionally like you know yes yeah mm-hmm. absolutely i think it makes you more patient for that kind of stuff and just like have a healthy mm. psychological distance yeah it's healthy exactly yeah and especially if you balance it with personal work that you can really own i think it makes in my case it makes me more patient to like just go with the flow of whatever notes i'm getting because it's not for me it's for it is for someone else i think if yeah. for for a long time um until i'd kind of like recaptured some personal work i was putting a lot too much, too much of my mm. personal satisfaction yeah, with that. my art into my professional work. Mm. And mm. so when it wouldn't go well, it felt really personal. I think that's, I, I try to stress the importance of personal work to people, especially young artists who are kind yeah. of I was just, just thinking, sorry, I was just thinking, Nick, Nick thinking a spicy reaction to bread right there. Like, just, <laughs> okay. I'm just, yeah, every time we get into this, right. this water, that's I just right. feel like, the, the smallest person in the room where I'm like, I still feel that way about all my contracts. I don't seem to know how to help it. You know like, what though? Like, honestly, I think it's important to be passionate still. Yeah. You know, you don't want to turn your brain off too much. You don't want to like, I always mm. fall in love with everything I do, uh, you know, to a certain extent, but I do think personal work or, or, or whatever it is. Like, I think having a, a psychological distance, like a healthy distance mm. from your professional work is so crucial it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, you know, when you know how much better it could have been or what was left on the table or whatever it is, it's always going to sting a little, but like if you have your personal work and you can kind of express some of those ideas and live with them, I think it, it helps me balance. And at least I don't, you know, I can sleep a little bit better at night. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a crucial, here's a crucial difference though, or something that is always snagged for me. And I, I want, I wonder if John, you could speak to this a little bit, but like in this case, we're talking about personal work. Anytime I would tune into artists talking about personal work and how important it is and how vital it is, I'd be like, yeah, but I don't have time. Like I don't, mm. I am yeah, exhausted. No, my, my time is completely taken up with just the gig. And then I come home and, uh, or <laughs> then I stay home and I wander into a different <laughs> room and I fall on a different couch and I feel tired. Um, yeah. And it, it's always been, you know, I think maybe some people have financial situations or lives where like they're, there's a much bigger safety net than others. I've never yes, felt man. that way. Um, and I, I guess like in your case, John, like the personal work that you're doing is actually paying work that you own. Yeah. That then like has the, like, and yet you worked on it for years beforehand without that in place. And I just wonder if you could speak to that tension or just kind of. Yeah. Well, um, you know, especially especially in the early the, the early stages of, of getting into developing book dummies and stuff, you know, I it I was working on it. You know, it wasn't by choice that I wasn't doing paid gigs. It was like it was like 
I have, you know, I have this wind. It's probably going to take me two or three weeks to, to, to find a gig. And while I'm sort of like sending those emails around and scrambling to figure out what, what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. I'm going to work, like, I'm going to work on this book. You know what I mean? Um, so I think, I think there was, there was that part of it as well. Um, and then in terms of, in terms of like channeling it towards something I knew would like pay some bills. Um, I did try to go about it. You know, I tried to do my research. Like I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work on this book and I'm going to go and learn everything I can about publishing and how you make a book and, and sort of like find a, find a channel of distribution for this work that, that hopefully will, you know, it will generate some income. Um, and so like, for me, like, I know that like, I sort of, I think I know what my strengths are, or my weaknesses. And I'm like, I'm, I'm probably not going to be great at like promoting something on my own or sort of like grassrootsing it. Like I, like I know given the, given the time, I'm always just going to go and work on the thing. Right. So it's like, for mm-hmm. my situation, like a publisher was a great option, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, I know I'm not going to be good at that side of it. And I'm okay with giving up, even giving up some of the money um, to, you know, to get it out there and, and have it, you know, see it through basically. Yeah. Um, so it was like, it was like, um, yeah, like I said, sort of in those, in those times between other things when I could do it. And then when it, you know, when it became real enough from all those little times adding up, then, you know, I did have a few months where I was like, this month, I'm just going to get this book out the door and pitch it and good to go. And at that, and at that point, then it became like a very, more of a, like a real investment that I'd treat Mm -hmm. like a, like a job, you know, Uh, but it definitely simmered, um, you know, for, for four or five years uh, before that point. And I, you know, my, my wife has a good job and, and that put me in a situation where, making taking that amount of risk was was okay you know i still was like i really hope this this goes somewhere but by that point it was enough of a full project that i was like i i think i could if i can find the right publisher i think i can get this made how how early in the process did you involve a publisher how, like when did that occur to you that like this is becoming a thing i i think this is pitchable this is this has legs like when do you reach out um, probably like, like five years ago, it, it took, it took a good, a good long while. I think, I think, I think I first started pitching it in like 2015 or 16. And, um, I like th- how much time had you put into it by then? Do you think? I mean, it, I can't really say, say for sure. And it was, it wasn't, you know, it was written end to end. It was sketched end to end. And I had done a, you know, a number of sort of like sample paintings. Yeah. So, you know, at least several months probably more just because of all, so much writing and everything. Um, mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't like you were like way down the road and going like, Oh, maybe I should actually take this to a publisher. This is like, this is the way you pitch books. Like from, yeah, so you, from you pitch, what I understand. You, you pitch a book, you pitch a book essentially. I mean, it's, and it's different if you're, if you're writing a book versus if you're writing and illustrating a book, right? If you're just yeah, writing a yeah. book, you can send a manuscript and pitch a book. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're also the illustrator, you're basically, you're basically pitching like a sketched a sketched version of the, of the entire thing. Um, and then generally a few sort of illustration samples. Um, but at that point, this, the illustration samples were very, like very different. Like the, the, the look is I've redone those several times because (laughs) my, my first rounds of pitching 
did nothing, nothing went through it. Right. Like um, I had to like regroup, read all the notes from the editors. And then I did another round of it in like 2017, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And that's what started leading to converse. Cause that, that one was a little better um, sort of leading to conversations with editors, which then led to this, uh, this Frankenstein book um, that, that Nick referred to. So um, yes. it was sort of like, what were those what, notes? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, that, like, yeah what? that's what I was thinking too. Like, because it oh, feels okay. like your style has been pretty consistent for a while. So how mm. was it? I'm assuming they were not com- like com- like commenting on your use of bra- like your brush strokes or your color palettes and stuff like that. Was a it more bit, on, yeah, the, actually. on the on the tone or the themes or what yeah? Was it the, so there's a few things. Um, it's funny you mentioned brush strokes. That actually ended up being a bit of a sticking point because <laughs> I was coming off I was coming off animation. And I was I was painting very clean. I was painting with a lot of rendered light effects, and I, I, and it's getting this is changing over time. But especially especially you know five years ago or ten years ago, um, I think I think there was a little bit more of a wall between what people would kind of accept for a look in in publishing. Um, mm-hmm. But like I, I think I think they wanted publishing to be its own thing, and, and I think part of that was sort of traditional materials and so i think um it was a little bit tougher to get something really like something too clean and something too akin to animation mm. into a book um and i see that's like i mean i was just trying to you know i was just work thinking about shape and i was thinking about colors and i wasn't really thinking about about material so i actually all i did was i was i started using um i started using the the webster brushes like just like more traditional looking stuff. Um, and all of a sudden I think people knew what to do with it. You know what I mean? I think I was, I think I was meeting expectations of, of what book art looks like. And all I was really doing was changing my tool set. Um, for me, that wasn't a sacrifice at all. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm compromising my brushes. Like I was like, (laughs) okay, that's, that's no problem. I'll use some, I'll try some textures and I actually ended up loving it. And now my work has a lot of, textures and strokes and stuff mm-hmm. but that was just brought on because i was wondering like okay how can i how can i like meet these people halfway um and i think it, that's like it, it's a bigger question of of like the same decision for one person might be a no-brainer for another one it might be a big sticking point you know it's like but for me i was like I'm, i don't feel like i'm compromising anything by by changing the the implements i'm using to do this and so i sort of kept all the same the same shape mm-hmm. and color choices, but I was just sort of like channeling it through a slightly different mm. look. And, and, and I think that, I think that was a big part of sort of like mm. having it more acceptable and that to that audience. Um, so I think that's always a tension, right? It's like, like you want to be aware of the, of the landscape of the viewers and you want to find those spots where like compromising is not, an issue for you you know and mm-hmm. there are other things in the book where i was like these things will be in the book or the book won't get made like there's a page of yeah. just puns and i was like i'm <laughs> going to protect this page to the ends of the earth either this page is in the book or there's no book and it's in the book so it's like you got to pick your <laughs> battles right yeah yeah of course. I, I think that's one of those like moments where you have to show that you're able to give in order to like stand your ground like like yeah yeah. i think that's such an important part of of working with clients whoever they are and whatever stage they're at like if you can show that you understand compromise 
then they'll respect you when you, you know, lay down the line and say like, no, like this is important mm. to me. I will fight for this. Mm. Like mm. it's important to me that this gets in. I think that's, yeah, that's crucial. To yeah. We talked about this before, right? It's like, you have yeah. to go into a negotiation knowing that you need to know that 30% of what you are proposing, you are willing to, to give away. Yeah. yeah. But you don't tell them it's what it is. It's usually my favorite stuff like, often, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or it's, it's like the stuff that makes it fun for me or, or would like other artists would nerd out on, but I know it's not like mm. crucial to the end of the, end product but it's the stuff that i that excites me the most because i know yeah. because it always gets cut you know so i'm always like trying to sneak it in <laughs> it rem <laughs> reminds me of yeah. a really stupid story that i'm not going to finish because it's kind of dark but there was i worked with an art director <laughs> when i was in advertising who and he died. I, he had this like monkey thing <laughs> he, he wanted to put chimps I, chimps specifically not monkeys he wanted to put chimps he pitched chimps for every job just because he wanted to do a photo shoot, photo shoot with a chimp and like, and, and so like he would pitch it for everything. I, I must have seen it. I worked there for like three years, I guess, three summers or whatever while I was in school. I must have seen him pitch it half a dozen times. And that was just during summer. So God knows what was happening when I was in school. He is just like, there. you know, the one that actually finally made it was a blender ad. He, he he pitched it as like the evolution of man kind of the scale. And then so he, just so he could shoot a chimp and the story I don't know. Do I want it's to so story? sad that he got eaten by all of those chimps. I'm glad you didn't tell that part of it. <laughs> okay, right? wait, wait, wait. All right, all right. So okay, so that's dark. Do you want to hear the real story? Because the, no. the real story is actually pretty dark. So, James, okay. <laughs> you can cut this. I'm going to tell you the story, but you can cut this if this is too much. Oh, my God. Okay, if I cut it, you will hear music now. Oh man! Well, you okay. really should have well, kept that to yourself, man. <laughs> okay, so here's the story. Don't tell it! Don't tell it! Don't tell it! This is good. Right. This is good. That's good enough for me. Let people's imagination go wild. Fair enough. I feel like I do the same thing though. I, I definitely there's like a little bag of like personally weird stuff that I trot from project to project, and I'm like, "Is it time for bug people?" And they're like, "We don't want bug people." And I'm like, "Okay," and I put it back, <laughs> back, and I take it to the next gig, and I'm like, "Everybody, get ready! It's insects!" And they're like, "We that's creepy, and I don't like it." I'm like, "All right." <laughs> And it's just every, <laughs> every I love other it. project. At, at this point, I like I feel like I know what's in that bag. And so like when we're on a project and I see you pulling out, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. It's whales. <laughs> it's true. How is the uh, like how is the whole book thing going? Like you're doing it, you you've published a few books. Like, how is that growing? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. It's a you know, um, this, you know, the the COVID really changed it up. In a, mm -hmm. in a way, um, you know, it's, I was, um, I was, uh, like probably like 80% through the book, um, last March. And I was like, this is going great. I'm going to finish. I was, it was going to turn it in like late April. I was like, this is going great. I've been working this book forever. <laughs> it's going to be done. Here we go. Um, and then like everything <laughs> shut down. My, <sighs> my daughter was in preschool and then she was home with me every day um so i'm mm. like it, t it ended up taking and then and then we had uh, twins twins a couple months later um oh my god yeah so then at, i would come work on the book 
in like a little sliver of time every night to like get a little farther on those last page. I was probably only had like, like four spreads left, but I took, it took me the entire summer. Um, and then, you know, we got into like the proofing process over the fall. Um, and my, you know, my editor was very understanding and my design team were, were very, very patient for like, um, you know, I'd be like, here's, here's a new version of this page. Here's a new cover. Here's like sending them all mm-hmm. kinds of updates. Um, uh, but, you know, miraculously, it's still coming out when it was supposed to. Um, so, yeah, that's great, man. So books are going good. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I I had anticipated to, to sort of like be into another one by now. And like I said, I've, I've, I've written it. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, inevitably everything's just kind of been, been, uh, pushed, pushed back a bit. So I, it's a cool one. I like it, but it's, it's, you know, it's still, it's still in that early, that early phase at this point. That's really cool, man. Like that, like, at least like you, you are being able to, keep them like keep them coming keep thinking ideas and do you feel like it's a is it a medium that 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 your ideas benefit from like do you feel like the kind of stories that you like to develop and the jokes and the and the all that stuff like is is writing is sorry children's book like the right medium for it yeah i mean i i um i've always loved like some of the all my books rhyme like i tried to write a book that didn't rhyme it was terrible um so like <laughs> like I've always loved writing in meter and that kind of stuff. So it's obviously like children's books are like a really a good outlet for that. Um, mm. You know, um, back, back when I was in, in, in studios, I used, I got into doing like pitch boards and boarding and, and that was just like writing and drawing jokes all day. And it was like, this is the, this is the greatest ever. So I feel like this is kind of like this is kind of like an extension of that process, but with I also get to put color on it. Um, so yeah, so I, I I think I really have enjoyed doing it. I would like to do like a comic or, or graphic novel. I I have you know similarly to my previous process, I have one I'm writing very slowly, and and hopefully we'll we'll get it there someday, like this one. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, I I think the 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 I think the reason I sort of started any of this was was jokes um and sort of <laughs> i ended up having to paint that to tell them and make and, and make myself laugh and stuff but but i, I think uh, yeah that's like a really a big part of it for me but i think it's i think it's good like um one thing i would i would like stress to people who are like like want to like do project like personal projects and stuff is is like all these things is like i said with the book like I'm, I try to, like, I start them before I think I'm qualified to do them. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like, I just, I'm going to rely on the process of, of bringing this thing to a finish to sort of like teach me how the, how that medium or that format works, you know? Um, so I think, I think at least for me, I think previously I I probably had the opinion that like, I'm going to master a craft and then I'm going to execute on it. And it's like, this proved the opposite. It's like, it's like I'm going to stumble through all the steps of this in order to learn it and at the end also have something. Um, but that, you know, the, makes the first one a real, a real doozy. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like you said, I mean, you write the next ones in, you know, in a, in a week, you know, suddenly the. Yeah. Book two I, and book three are like when I wrote, when I wrote Hugo Sprouts, like it was like 2000 words long. And like, if you, you can't pitch a picture book over like 500. Basically. So <laughs> it's, 
it's like now I find when I'm writing a book, I'm anticipating, I'm anticipating the the page turns, and I'm, I'm anticipating what mm. you know, sort of what is going to be the narrative um, goal or burden of the imagery versus the text, and so I'll be able to leave words mm. out because I'm saying that's going to be covered by the pictures. Right, um, right. Whereas previously, I was just like. And then he walks down the street and then he opens the door. Like I was, I was treating it much too literally because I just didn't have the experience of, of um, sort of bringing it all together as a unit. Talk about that in illustration actually a lot recently. I've been uh, talking, I have a couple, um, oh, I don't know if I should talk about this on the podcast. I have a couple mentees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my slots are filled. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, and we talk about even that principle, that that um, way of thinking about like, oh, the words are going to cover this or the picture is going to cover this. I don't need to write it can break down into like, I've already said this with the line art. I don't need to say it again with color. You know what I mean? Like, mm. yes, I, I, you don't continually repeat yourself during the process. And it's one of those principles that you can take through a lot of different steps of any given project where it's like, this has been covered in the boards. You know, we don't need to, you know, once again, put it in the script. It's, you know, all, all kinds of um, parts of the process kind of work that way, I think. Yeah, that, that's like a wonderful, you know, to be very literal, that's a wonderful advantage of line art. I think that's like, it's, that's like its chief power, right? It's like, it's so efficient. And it's like, you can just, you can just treat color as structure. You no longer, you no longer need to treat color as like, as rendering or details, right? So James had an great. emotional reaction when you said that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's, so it's true. Because I, I've, I've gone through that. Like, I've been, like, I, I I was doing this workshop for the Galeria Roja, right? And I was talking to them, and they were talking about line art and color and rendering and all this stuff. It's like, if you can, like, the, the bottom line is communication, right? It's like, what's the fastest way for you to tell me this and for me to understand it? Do that. Like if you need to render a, a shoulder blade and you need to tell me that it's metal and render the metal and put a scratches and texture on it, <laughs> paint it gray, and, and and you define the shape and you find the, the light source and all that stuff, you are taking hours to tell me he's wearing a shoulder protection thing. Mm -hmm. I can just do this, whoop, a little line, and it is it is a shoulder protection. That's it. <laughs> that's done. Right? Yeah. It's like, um, and, and it is true. Like once you you liberate color from being the thing that describes the shape and is just for emotion or for context, it elevates. At least in my experience, like it 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 elevates its value because before I was kind of like sometimes taking too crazy uh, decisions with color that were a little bit too out there. Especially like I mean I know Nick, you you have a a mastery of color and a taste that that kind of like covers all of this stuff. But I remember being like conflicted all the time. It's like it's it's this color choice is going against describing this, this shape and this form that you need to describe um mm -hmm. and and it's making it more complex to understand um and once I, I give that to line art then color can just be its own thing and it doesn't have to fight mm -hmm. for attention um oh. and it can just i can just do all the choices and it's, it's much more freeing um and, yeah. I, and mm -hmm. I actually I, I kind of gravitate to styles that balance that have a very interesting balance between line work and and color um, mm -hmm. I really like it. And and the more limited, normally like I kind of go, the more limited the, the color is, the more I tend to like it. It feels much more peaceful. And uh, it's, just, it's just like somebody communicating something without any noise. And it's just like, oh, yeah, so nice. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have something taste. controversial really to say a in, in, a, like, in a podcast full of character designers. Is I, I have recently, like in, in my <laughs> illustration work, 
depending on what I'm trying to say, um, sometimes I underplay my character design in order to like, so that it doesn't become the focus and dominate and make it a piece about character design. Sometimes I want it to be about mm-hmm. the story or want it to be about mm-hmm. the lighting or want it to be about other aspects. And I think there is a, oh, I think you can overplay a concept to the point where it becomes a distraction and it becomes a showpiece for a cool character design and you don't look past it. Um, and I'm not saying that's in every case. And like, obviously you guys are all great at balancing these things, but like, that's one of those things that occurred to me at some point. I think I see a lot in younger artists. They'll exaggerate all day and to the point where it becomes a distraction and it becomes too much of look at all these ways that I can like put crazy things on a character or make the proportions <laughs> really um, like wild. And if yeah. you push it too far, I think you're stirring away from appeal. I, uh, not- that's a yeah. big how topic. much can you open this character's mouth? That's like I just yeah, like, yeah. It's true. They raise their arm. Can they <laughs> can they even do that? <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back though, I think that that um John and I have talked about this a lot throughout our projects. There are just these things like hierarchy of importance, mm. of yes, value. Exactly. You know, yeah. something needs to be the point and something needs to recede into the background mm-hmm. and become de-emphasized and uh and that's within a single character design that's a character in an environment that's a panel with a character in an environment on a page of comic you know Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. one page that the emotional beat as before you know you turn it um and i think that that you know no matter what the medium is what i've seen from john and and experienced also myself is that there are these principles that just are always true (laughs) you know like it's always important to be thinking about yeah yeah the read and the communication of the core idea is always the most important part and everything else mm. helps. But like, if, if anything becomes too dominant, then you're, you're like, you're missing the point. It's, it's like a, the wrong instrument coming through in a song or something like that. Like if you just have like one loud sax <laughs> yeah. in the background for no reason, like <laughs> yeah. it's not going to work, you know? So kind of just soloing, like just going yeah. for a while. <laughs> right? Playing his own yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, dude we're, we're done with that part. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're good. We get it, Dave. It's, like, it's cool. You're good at sax. It's cool, <laughs> Look man. Look at the leaves, little trees. I can do the leaves, leaves. And it's like, dude, we we get it. Like you handmade all the leaves on the tree. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, sorry, John. We just like steamrolled into a complete. No, that was excellent. Nonsense. No, I, I, the way I no, always, but... the way I always like. I don't know if I made this up or someone else made it up, but I always talk about how like, like emphasis is is like a limited resource like you, mm-hmm. the emphasis mm-hmm. can't be everything and so it's like for for your picture to have a point it kind of also has to have those areas that are not the point right like mm-hmm. that they're going to set up your focal points they're, they're going to set up the part of your picture that's telling the story to succeed you know yeah so i i think that's well, something again again going through that process of, of working with nick on 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 dawn gate i think i think that sort of crystallized for me and then when i went to apply that to doing book illustrations it became much less about like i'm going to draw a kid and i'm going to draw the table and i'm going to draw the kid's dad it became much more about like what's happening to the kid and the table and dad right now and how are we going to employ all these different facets of the picture of how we're going to use the color use the value use the edges, use all that stuff to reinforce that, that one point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to your point about it all being from jokes originally too, like that's, I think I borrowed this from you at some point. That's how I teach it now. Or <laughs> when I talk about it, I go, um, 
to you know refer to like character design as though it were a joke and if you get lost in the weeds in a joke you're screwed you know if you're like why did the chicken cross the road like oh well okay why did that so the road was it's more of a path and the path was covered in pebbles and it's actually it's kind of a cobblestone um and the grass was really tall on the side and there was like kind of a fence over there and anyway so chicken a, really is a, a, a pterodactyl uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you've just lost, it will never be funny anymore. You know, like you have yeah. fully, you know, gotten completely. And that mm-hmm. is why Black Sad is a bad comic. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. the air out of the room. I'm Sorry. I'm going to challenge you, Nick. Because Juanjo Guarnido, the artist from Black Sad, is a good friend of mine. And oh, no. his daughter, his daughter. For us is studying animation and she's a big fan of the podcast and he asked me to listen to the podcast and was, he was wants to be in the podcast, podcast so <laughs> oh <my gosh>. he's <laughs> listening hi i actually love your podcast is because uh, your podcast oh my god kill me kill me i love your comic black sad was a huge influence on me from an early age it's just a meme between james and I. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway yeah we're derailing at this point yeah that was amazing so sorry john no problem so um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting, and I and I think um, relating back to what I was saying, I sort of like I want to make cartoons, like I want to make jokes. I think what mm. I started to discover was like I could like enhance sort of the I could enhance the joke, or I could like bring it some gravitas by starting to employ some of that more subtle technique and 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 neutral colors and that kind of thing like like the style in this book is is super pushed and cartoony and the palettes are really strong but there's also this there's there also is this presence of of gray on some of the pages you know where we're blending from one extreme of color to another um and i think that first of all sort of like gives you some some more of that like volume and, and richness in the scene um, cause I mean, that's kind of like the way that when I'm approaching color, like I'm, I'm always thinking about it in terms of light. Like I'm not someone who can really design, design color as flats. Like I just, it's not part of my process really. It's something that it's, it's tricky for me, but when I'm thinking about it in terms of sort of like the color is like blooming from all these different places, mm-hmm. um, mm. finding those areas where it kind of like blends together and overlaps and and sort of like making that believable um mm. when, at least what i'm trying to do is like all right i'm like sort of i'm like giving sort of i'm giving more presence more believable presence to these absurdly sort of cartoony shapes that makes sense yeah yeah i think definitely yeah i totally get that and I think that's the kind of thing, like I said before, that that's the kind of thing I would have looked right through previously. And now it's one of the things I enjoy the most, you know, because it's, mm, it's yeah. easy to go pick the reddest red and just plop it on your page. But to sort of like make it sing with another out. part <laughs> of the spectrum. Max like, is like, it's, you think it's easy to pick the reddest red? You think you know, maybe you know about the greenest green. Challenge accepted. <laughs> so the greenest green, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like, finding, a, like finding, the, finding the path between those two extremes um, is kind of mm. a fun, it's kind of a fun puzzle really yeah. Um, yeah. to figure mm. out. 
It's kind of, to bring it back to that joke thing, like it's kind of like working from the punchline backwards sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, if you yeah. know, like, all right, this red is red, that's, that's what this image is about, mm -hmm. you know, then how do I get there in a way that keeps the tension and the visual interest yeah. alive, yeah. you know, mm. just enough, you know, but doesn't like take away from it. And then you start describing right. the, like the road that the chicken's going to cross or whatever. Not to take it too literally, but like the reddest red stuff, it like, I, 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 I like negative, like, yeah, but, but no, like, uh, <sighs> it's gonna I, I, so I use red in. a lot. I use punchy red, but it only looks punchy in context, Yeah, there right? It is. You pull your other punches and if you actually colored sample my reds, they're not usually that red, you know, when I do mm -hmm. use them, obviously like I'm not shying away from like bright colors, but like if you were to sample it, it's actually darker, less saturated than it, mm -hmm. than it really feels because I'm, yeah budgeting for that I'm, I'm kind of giving you the impression of a huge huge punch of color and i'm, I'm usually try like look my saturation is typically fairly high but like i do make sure that my that it it's more of a perception thing than it is just like you mm -hmm. know pegging it to the top of the color sampler <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I do try to to you know it, it i'm playing with perception more than i'm playing with just like you know yeah. The, the literal so here's a little art tip for everybody. If you feel that your colors, your saturation is clipping a little bit too much, just desaturate around it, and then you're exactly. fine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is what you need to do. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you want to go from like blue, you know, like a really saturated blue to a really saturated red, you kind of bend it through an area of low saturation. Yeah, you mm. know, yeah. and that you know you can work up to places where they're like abutting or whatever. But mm -hmm. it, yeah. Was that Marco Bucci? Marco Bucci has a video. About there's a, there's a really, really good uh, Marco Bucci video. I think it's called, I don't know what it's called. He talks, he basically calls it the, the gray warp zone where he basically, <laughs> he basically <laughs> picks a color and blends it right through a sort of a desaturated middle. Um, and he, it's a, just a really clear way to sort of like uh, spell this out. Quick question, guys. Is black a color? Ooh. Oh. Uh-oh. I'll leave it there. Uh, End of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. If you want to contact us or reach out in any way, you can do so through Twitter using the handle nextspacepod or by email at hello at negativespacepod.com. The music is by the always amazing Francisco Ojeda, Thank you for spending some time with us. Bye-bye.